And welcome back to the Constitutionals Podcast. I'm your host, Chad White. If you didn't know, this is the premiere podcast for the website, simplescomedy.com. Like I just said, it's a website. Go there, turn myself up in the uh, in the links. And now, realizing that I set the microphone way too low, and here it comes up, adjusting it, adjusting it, narrating everything I do so that people understand that this show uh, gets as much love as, as it possibly should. <laughs> and here we are. Oh, let me see it moving. Okay, yeah, just had to make sure. <laughs> Welcome back to the Constitutional Podcast. This is episode 156 of the show. Still as loose as ever. Still as good as ever. We are here on uh, last Thursday in April. Recording a show that should not exist. <laughs> and, uh, and... You know what, so far, I'd, I'd say we're doing pretty gosh darn well. Listen, let me pull up a timer, because I obviously don't have a timer set up or a stopwatch. There we go. There we go for this segment. <laughs> I don't have anything in here that really needs to be done. And yet, here we are, recording yet another show. We're in month three of this coronavirus pandemic. And so far, it is still going. We got... Georgia is coming loose in this lockdown. Uh, Atlanta has gotten a lot more um, uh, packed. <laughs> People are out. I'm not gonna. I'm uh, truly. I can't lie. I was. I was out this past Saturday, hanging out in the park with uh, my friend who just moved here, and his roommate, and we were hanging out in the park, and uh, we hung out all afternoon, and uh, then I got home. At like one thirty six, and I woke up on Sunday, and I went <laughs> immediately because <laughs> I had to walk. I had to walk home, so I and it's not that far, but I did have to take a lot of public stuff. Um, and I got home, and I woke up around uh, nine o'clock on Sunday, and I went, "Oh my God, why did I do that? That is the dumbest thing I could possibly do, is to hang out with a bunch of people." And then the park was packed, is to hang out with a bunch of people hang out with these other people to be in a group and to be and to touch people's dogs and to pet people's dogs <laughs> and just to be, and to be around these people and I I felt like I, I thought I could die <laughs> I could get this I could get this, this coronavirus I could pass away uh, of course nobody would know because uh, I don't A I don't text people and B I get I live alone <laughs> so I so it'd probably be like two weeks before anybody. I could die in two weeks, and then it would be another two weeks before anybody found me. <laughs> Sad but true. All right, let's get started. I have a lot of stuff to talk about. First up is this one's coming from Variety. It's talking about how uh, Fred by Brian Steinberg. I don't know why I introduced it in the weirdest way possible. It is Trevor Noah's Daily Show will expand to forty-five minutes. So there has been. Ever since the Colbert Colbert ended his Colbert show, and I feel like I'm bending over to, to to lean into the mic, and you shouldn't bend over to do anything unless you're at the club and uh, you're dancing with somebody. You bend over, touch toes, <laughs> bend over to the front, touch your toes, like the song says. And so, ever since Colbert left. The Colbert Show, which I believe was in 2000, he went from 2006 to 2011, maybe? Let's see, Colbert Report. That was 2005, excuse me, 2014, I was way off. 
it feels just like two years ago when he started when he started getting good at the CBS show, the late show. So, so he left and, uh, and, and comedy central, obviously that's a good time slot to be behind. Even when Trevor Noah, uh, when, uh, the little, uh, white liberals weren't enjoying Trevor Noah, uh, after Jon Stewart left, uh, and they weren't, <laughs> then, um, it, uh, it became apparent that, there was, there's got to be a something has to fill that spot, and so Comedy Central has tried for years to do that. They did it with the Nightly Show, which they canceled after nine months, uh, right before the election. They did it with uh, David Spade's show Lights Out, which was canceled. Um, I like David Spade; he's a very funny guy. Uh, there's a show called Rules of Engagement that he starred on with Patrick Warburton and Oliver Hudson, Bianca Kalick, and Megan Price. I believe that her name is. And, uh, and it tr- truly one of my favorite sitcoms is so funny. It should not have existed because it was not as sh- it was on CBS. Uh, it should have been canceled <laughs> so many times and it never, it didn't get canceled until I got a hundred episodes. Uh, that's what should have happened to, um, happy endings. Anyway, you get me started on happy endings. I'll talk for an hour on happy endings. Cause I love that show. So they, so they've been trying to, and then they tried it with, uh, the president show, which, I uh, thank God didn't last longer than however however long it lasted, and then they tried it with uh, Jordan Klepper's show, and uh, but that was during an era of time in two thousand I think seventeen when the Klepper Jordan Klepper show uh, let's see Jordan Klepper show uh, that show aired and is called the Opposition. And that show aired for maybe, I won't even say a year, 2017, and it had one season, and, oh, excuse me, 2017 through 2018. So he did have uh, one season with 149 episodes, and they treated it like the like it was uh, The Daily Show. They treated it, it was basically a new age version, a new, a new version of The Colbert Report, where we had this Alex Jones composite just like Colbert was a composite of a Fox News host, and he was doing the now contemporary Alex Jones things. Uh, if you don't know who Alex Jones is, you're stupid. Just read the news. Uh, he's a very uh, bad and racist man. Um, and so, but that show didn't really strike a chord with the audience because we had we have a president of the United States who is what is that noise? Oh, you know what? It might be Mission Impossible. I don't know if you heard that. There was a noise that came across the mic. Uh, <laughs> I did leave Mission Impossible 4 on in the other room. It's on FX, and I said, I love this movie. And I sat down, I watched it for a little bit, and I said, all right, time to record the show. <laughs> uh, I love Mission Impossible. So good. Mission Impossible Fallout is one of my favorite movies of all time. It is one of the best movies ever. I've seen it so many times. That and La La Land, and, and truly amazing how many times I've seen those movies. <laughs> so... And the Simpsons movie, which is crazy, <laughs> crazy, crazy amount of times. <laughs> anyway, um, so anyway, yeah. So, uh, so that show didn't strike a chord. But now the Daily Show is going to be extended, extend, especially this is very important of the, being in coronavirus quarantine time. The Daily Show is going to be extended, and after they canceled uh, Lights Out with David Spade, Daily Show is going to be extended about fifteen minutes to eleven forty-five. Uh, then you know after that time period, they're going to fill it with uh, South Park and. Uh, other shows. Um, late night is really being stretched to. Uh, I was gonna say thin, but that doesn't make sense. And then because uh, it's not being stretched thin, and then I was gonna say stretched to a T, but that doesn't make sense. Any hoosers. Late night is really um, working around this coronavirus because 
I think every show. Oh, and I have this theory. Every show is basically on, uh, with the exception of um, Hasan Minaj's show on Netflix. Um, I have this theory. Uh, Lily Singh's show, A uh, Little Late with Lily Singh, is has been airing new episodes for, I don't know, the past two months. Uh, where have we been for the past few months? We've all been locked down. Uh, Conan, Colbert, Kimmel, Fallon, Myers, and even Corden. None of those people started, and uh, and Samantha B. None of those people, and John Oliver, <laughs> and Daisy Samiro. None of those people started airing shows from uh, from their homes until five weeks ago, four weeks ago at most. Um. And so let's, so that's about a month, all right? A month and a little over a month. Um, Lily Singh's show is still airing new episodes from the studio with an audience. My theory is, and, you're, you, might, you, and you gotta be wondering, how's that happening? My theory is that they bulk shot, because that show comes on at one o'clock in the morning or one thirty. My theory is they bulk shot a crap ton of shows and they are, and they'd already did this. All right, because I don't. That show is not topical. Her monologues are not topical. The games are topical. The guests are barely topical. My theory is, they bulk shot. And it's only half hour long. They shot like like twenty episodes, twenty thirty episodes, and they're 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 doing Monday through Friday. So I believe they shot all those episodes and they're just releasing them still. Because I have I searched her Twitter, I searched the YouTube, I searched all that stuff, I searched all the relevant stuff. They're all talking about being stuck at home. Or they're not talking about the work at all. They're not talking about the job. They're not talking about the show. So I guarantee that they bulk shot the show. And and now they're releasing episodes. So we'll see what happens when they run out in you know at the end of May. We'll see if that show comes back. <laughs> Cause <laughs> I know NBC bet on her, but I don't know. Like I, I think that show is uh too millennial for its own sake. This next story comes from the Atlantic. Written by Hannah Georges. Uh, truth be told, I had, I only skimmed over this story, and today at work I was like, I should I should uh, freshen up on these stories, but I didn't. Um, but the gist of this one is, it's uh, called The Problem with Celebrities Urging Fans to Donate During the Pandemic. Uh, the gist of this is, written by Ms. Georges, is saying that people are, you know, laid off. Uh, for, I, have a, I had a reporter friend who just texted me. She's going to be furloughed for a, a week. Uh, I, I wonder if that uh, that obviously affects her wages, um, but just for that week. But and she's a reporter, so you know. But she's gonna be furloughed. A lot of people are furloughed. Um, but now we have speaking of late night, you know, late night shows are asking, "Hey, donate, donate money, donate money. People can't eat. Donate money." Um, and then you've got, you know, other famous people going, hey, donate money, donate money, don- donate to all these causes that have suddenly uh, bec- come to the forefront, forefront, excuse me. Um, and she gives, she gives a specific example of Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis, a famed couple that they are, uh, talking about their wine. They have a new uh, product called Quarantine Wine. It's a Pinot Noir. $50 for two bottles. 100% of the profits will be donated. Not everybody has the money. And obviously you don't have to do this, but not everybody has the money to do that. Because I, I gave some money, but you know that's money out of my... And to, not to there. It was to to a no kids go hungry. Um, <laughs> because 
because <laughs> because no one was uh, talking about that one um, at the time. But now everybody's talking about everything. But uh, but now these you know mega rich people are talking about hey you know give money give money here give money here you know you have to give money here, and it's kind of difficult because not everybody can can do that at this time, especially if you have lost wages, especially if you don't have you know the money to give. Um, uh, and then there's going to be talking about a pay-per-view rap battle between Dr. Dre and Diddy. So, I mean, it's just, it's just very difficult that famous people are saying, do these things, uh, when you kind of, you kind of can't at some point. Um, and then, you know, same thing for, you know, not going outside. Uh, I, and we just talked about the show. I love the daily show. It's one of my favorite late night shows. Trevor Noah is one of my favorites. Um, but at the end of a lot of his episodes, he's always going, uh, stay, stay home. Don't go outside. <laughs> and I think, well, some people have to go. So I have to go to work. I have to go to the office. Um, I, uh, some people need to go out for walks. Some people need to get out of their homes and do things. Um, not go to the park and hang out <laughs> with a bunch of people around you. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not kidding. There's at least a hundred, 150 people at this park, a hundred, hundred people at the park. Um, Oh, something big's happening. Mission impossible. Um, so people have to go outside. Uh, and I just, I just, I think at some point, you know, it's gotta be disingenuous for you to go, okay, stay inside. Don't do anything. Don't, don't touch anything and clap for your frontline workers. At some point, it's just gotta, it's just gotta stop because <laughs> you know, you can't, people are going to have to go outside. I'm not and I'm not I'm not one of those people who was uh, protesting, you know, stay at home orders are bull crap. Like, no, that's insane. Um, but you know, if I want to go for a run, I want to go for a run. Uh, and I do every Saturday in morning. So if you want to kill me, that's when you do it. <laughs> but you don't know where I run. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, and then the one more thing I want to hit before. Oh, you know what? I don't know if I have time for this. Uh, <laughs> one more thing I want to hit before um, the uh, before the break. The Simpsons. This is very sad. Uh, over on the AV Club, they have been covering The Simpsons for as long as I can remember, uh, and there and there's one writer that covered the majority of it. His name is Dennis Perkins, and I, t- and you know, I hate critics, and I hate reading reviews, but there's one review that I basically read every single Monday morning, uh, and it's The Simpsons uh, review recap over at the AV Club written by Dennis Perkins. Now, this guy, I think is a talented writer. I think he is very jaded <laughs> against current Simpsons and current SNL because that's what he reviews, current Simpsons, current SNL. And he's very harsh on, the sh- on both shows. Um, but you know what? I respect him because he's a, he's a talented writer. And, you know, over the past couple of weeks, I just like kind of uh, tapered, well, not a couple of weeks because they haven't aired for a couple of weeks, uh, a couple of months. I've just kind of tapered off reading his reviews because I said I just don't need that kind of negativity in my life. <laughs> And, uh, and you know, this, this past episode was written by Pete Holmes, one of my favorite comedians and, and, uh, and it's a two parter. And so I said, Oh, you know, what? I'm going to check out Dennis per- Perkins review of this. And then turns out I'm reading the review and he says that Dennis Perkins says it is there. It is the website's last review like except for special episodes here and there, like the tree houses of horror and maybe the Christmas ones, you know, the season finale, season premieres, you know, you know, like the important ones. Um, and so now it sucks. 
that uh, AV Club is, they said the readership has gotten too low and maybe the parent company has something to do with it. The parent company is Geo Media and they suck. Uh, they don't they control me so I can talk straight smack about them and AT&T. Because <laughs> I just got another uh, job denial from Warner Media, <laughs> who was owned by AT&T. <laughs> Which is owned by AT&T. Uh, and it, I mean, it stinks. And it stinks that these, that uh, a good column is going away uh, because, you know, the uh, daddy company says it. You know, I mean, and The Simpsons is still relevant. They still get decent views and uh, all that stuff. All right. Well, let's want to take a break. <laughs> and we come back. We have more stuff to talk about. <laughs> All right. We're coming back in three, two, one. And we're back. <laughs> I didn't do anything uh, important. I just got up. I turned the camera back on and just uh, did this. All right. Let's get back into the second half of this uh, episode. Listen, we're going to talk more about the Simpsons. I don't know. I don't care if you like the Simpsons or not, but we're going to talk more about them. Uh, this comes from the Hollywood Reporter written by Eric Gardner. Eric with a Q. Don't like that. Use a C. Maybe a K if you need it. <laughs> Eric, you tramp. Or if you're, if, uh, I don't want to say anything, uh, Eric, you are a nice person. Um, Fox says discovery about Simpsons composer culminated in firing. So you'll know, you probably won't know this. About three years ago, the Simpsons, uh, at this point, 27 years old, <laughs> had fired, or maybe 28. They're in 31 right now, so 20, uh, 28 years old. Um, fired Alf Clausen, who's been a longtime composer of The Simpsons. So if you listen to the music of The Simpsons, you'll notice that it had, much like if you like a, like Family Guy, much, they had a big orchestral soundtracks, and it was uh, big music. Um, he was fired, and he was to be replaced with... Because uh, orchestras cost money, you have to use real instruments and all that stuff. He was to be replaced with a, what essentially would amount to is uh, beat sequencers and and ways to make the music digitally instead of using live bands and stuff. Um, and so he was fired. He was, I believe, in his seventies, and he was just an, he's an older gentleman. Um, and today we got where this week we have some new information on the firing. It turns out that the Simpsons might be, or the uh, showrunners and producers might be kind of in the right for firing him, uh, not because to save a buck, but also because that Clausen had apparently been shirking his duties and passing it off to other composers, uh, unbeknownst to the producers. Uh, so according to an amended complaint the clause that Clausen filed earlier this month he was not only let go because of his advanced age but also due to a perceived disability the composer revealed he had been diagnosed with parkinson's in the filing Clausen also attacks on zimmer whose company replaced him on the show for creating simpsons music quote inferior in quality deaf range and sound yet stylistically similar in substance <laughs> truth all right let's say this once i've watched the show from beginning from the very first episode all the way up until this very last episode that aired this past Sunday, uh, the past couple of years, you, if you have listened to the music, you do notice a difference. However, I would not say inferior. I would just say a little bit more lively, a little bit newer. Um, 
At the time, the series considered replacing Clausen in 2011. Uh, Clausen's large live orchestra with synthesizers and computer-generated music. McClausen held on to his job, which paid him about $12,000 an episode plus royalties. Then there's an episode that was a two-parter called The Great Fatsby, where it involved, uh, it was a Burns story with Homer involved a little bit, and it was it needed a rap soundtrack, essentially. What happened was that in 2016, when they were working on the, uh, the episode, Jim Beans, who's one of the producers from Fox's Empire, was called in to do some of the music, or all of the music, um, and do, you know, composer for the for the hour-long episode. And, uh, but Clausen still did much of the work. And then, turns out, producer James L. Brooks uh, from The Simpsons, he did not like what he was hearing. Same, same goes for uh, Richard Sakai, who's been a long-time producer of The Simpsons. He... Uh, he says that Brooks questioned whether Clausen was the right person to prepare rap music and question his work more generally. This is when Sakai learned that Clausen had been passing off his work to his son, Scott Clausen. Uh, and he believed, he, he quote, believed his, un, his unauthorized delegation was, unaccept, was unacceptable. He called in Al Jean, showrunner Al Jean, and told him, that Clausen had been delegating his composing work, he conveyed to me that this was he was surprised and disturbed as well. Then they all brought it up essentially to, you know, each other. <laughs> and they discussed how uh Clausen was having others do his work, and then uh, Sakai said we were we decided to we can improve the music on the show by replacing him. Uh and it, it's just kind of it's kinda of, it gets kind of in the weeds there, but uh <laughs> I mean, you know, obviously you have to see it from both angles if you're gonna be an impartial jury. Uh, but initially Clausen said years ago this this was an age thing, and now in this suit he's saying, "Oh, age, disability, and be and uh, and all this stuff." But and then the producers are just you know in the suit now. They never spoke about this. They just kind of said, "Hey, it was time," and now now he's being replaced by Hans Zimmer. I mean, this is why Hans Zimmer stopped doing Star Wars movies. <laughs> Isn't that true? I think he stopped doing Star Wars movies. I don't know. Or that's John Williams. Never mind. Who I don't know who does things anymore. Uh, very, it sucks that this had to uh, happen like this. Um, how long have we been going? But, I mean, you know, I think, again, two ways, two heads about this. <clears throat> um, I don't really think anyone, I mean, who's at fault here? Because if he was passing off his work, I mean, I guess... I guess it could kind of be an age thing because they did, but they got Hans Zimmer and his company and they were just trying to save a buck. You know, there were, there were pay reductions, uh, around the, around that same time in that same, around the same, uh, year that he was fired because, uh, Fox was just like, you take pay reductions <laughs> and they said, okay. And, I, and the voice cast took pay reductions. So yeah. All right. And the last thing I want to talk about is, uh, universal NBC universal which is a movie company and corporate company is having a little bit of a spat with AMC American movie corporation. <laughs> That's not true. That's not the name of AMC. Oh, there is a thing I wanted to look at called commercials during the pandemic. Let's take a quick look at that. Oh, this is from the Atlantic written by Amanda Mole. It's talking about how, uh, companies like, uh, Burger King and, 
Forever 21 and uh, State Farm and Apple, just a bunch of companies have somehow made these. In the time that we were, that everybody was put in quarantine uh, or stay-at-home orders, they've made these increasingly creepy commercials about staying at home and how this is like a quote-unquote new normal and all that stuff. And uh, it's insane how they put these <laughs> How they put these, uh, what she calls a pandemic dystopia. <laughs> how they put these commercials out. Uh, crazy. Crazy. And actually, I think that might be the title of this episode, Pandemic Dystopia. <laughs> I like that. Uh, it's a, a wonderful, wonderful piece. Definitely check it out. Amanda Mole at The Atlantic. She's one of my favorites uh, right over there for that uh, periodical. But uh, I, I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to talk about it, but we got to talk about this really quick. <clears throat> Also, no one wants to hear me talk about ads anymore. <laughs> I've done so many episodes of the Constitutionals and News Time on ads. It's, it's, it's rote at this point. All right, this comes from, these next couple of stories are going to be all tied together. This comes from The Wrap, first of all. Written by Tom Gear. Universal's Trolls World Tour. There's nearly $100 million in the first three weeks of VOD rentals. Okay, so troll. So obviously we can't go out and do anything. Uh so theater, not theaters, distributors have been releasing movies digitally for $20 per watch. And apparently, this is what I learned from Andy Daly. He was on Comedian and TV's Andy Daly. He was on Never Not Funny, the podcast. And he said that he rented, his kids rented Trolls World Tour three times. Or, or excuse me, twice. And they tried it for a third time. But he realized that he had a $40 charge <laughs> So they watched it once, and then the next day they watch, they watched it again. And then he realized he had a forty dollars charge, and his daughter tried to do it, tried to rent it again. He said no more. Uh, so apparently these these twenty dollars rentals are a one time one and done thing. Uh, Trolls World Tours really, and you know the rest, the Hunt, um, the Invisible Man, they're all released digitally, twenty dollars per watch. Trolls World Tour made a hundred million dollars in these rental fees from. The from its April 10th debut, so it's now April 30th. So let's take away two days. So in roughly, roughly in 18 days, <laughs> take away two days. It's 20 days. Uh, <laughs> roughly 18 days. Um, that was five million rentals, roughly five million rentals, and that's a hundred million dollars in digital rental fees. Which means this is how they did their math. They said that. Trolls World Tour has produced $77 million in revenue. That's more than the original 2016 movie did for the studio. The original had a budget of $125 million, and it only grossed $153.7 million domestically and $346.9 million worldwide. Uh, Trolls World Tour was apparently made for $90 million, which I... How did you take away and make... I don't understand. This movie looks bigger. Good. Amazing. Um, but now, Trolls World Tour is doing way better than the original movie has ever done. Ever. And it's on track to continue to continue to do well. So now, NBC Universal is saying, this is pretty good for PVOD, which is paid video on demand. Um, the CEO, Jeff Shell, told Wall Street Journal, as soon as uh, theaters reopen, we expect to release movies on both formats, which put a damper 
on the plans of theaters. Uh, so with with uh, Universal mulling that, this next story comes from The Wrap again. This is written by Jeremy Fuster this time. AMC is saying, hey, if you release on digital, we're not going to release your movies, period. We're not going to carry your movies, period. AMC is obviously one of the, I swear, oh my God, this story yesterday was freaking free. This is what I was afraid of. This is why I hate reading the rap because this bull crap just, there's a freaking pop-up. Let me show you. Let me show you. You read this story and then it pop-up, a pop-up happens. <sighs> okay. AMC is saying they won't carry the story. I'm going to change that link because this is ridiculous. Uh, then the uh, NBCU boss comes back and says, hey, listen, listen, listen. It was just, uh, we're, we're gonna, it's going to be complimentary. People are going to want to stay home and they're going to go see the movies. This next one comes from THR, The Hollywood Reporter, which doesn't have any pop-ups. NBCU CEO addresses Trolls theatrical window controversy, calls premium VOD complimentary. So Jeff Shell comes back and he's essentially saying, listen, we can do both. Uh, Shell told analysts that a majority of movies are currently being consumed at home, whether people like that or not. And it was, quote, not realistic to expect that a change to change that right now, uh, even though he said he expects theatrical is, quote, someday again going to be the central element of our business. Adding that, quote, is how people make their movies and how they expect the movies to be seen. Oof. Okay. Uh, I mean, so it's difficult to really gauge how movies are doing because if you, even if you, even, all right, so let's say uh, snap of the fingers by September, everything is fine. And we can, the, uh, the Oscars earlier today or yesterday even said that uh, movies not released in theaters are going to have a chance to, you know, win an Oscar to be put up for Oscar nominations, but they've had, you've had to had a plan for a theatrical release prior to the pandemic happening. Um, but let's say snap of fingers in September, everything's fine. Even if people are, you know, even if some of the nation is says, all right, well, we'll stay inside, but the other 80% is out there, you know, doing their work and, and excuse me, going to movie theaters and going to restaurants and stuff, but most importantly, and going playing outside and but most importantly, going to movie theaters. It doesn't mean that people are still want to, are going to sit home and, and watch these movies. Like if James Bond doesn't come out in theaters, I mean, obviously people are going to watch it, but it's not going to be the, I think it's not going to be as big as, as MGM wants it to be. You know, whoever distributes. I think Universal might be distributed. No, no, no. Uh, whoever wants it. Or like Fast and Furious 9. When that comes out next year, it's not going to be as big as you want it to be. It's not going to make the billion dollars that Fast and Furious 9 should make. Uh, it's an insane notion <laughs> to to say PVOD is going to be, is the, is. I mean, obviously, yeah, it can be the future, but not at this point. Because we're at a point where even if movie theater sales, ticket sales are declining year over year, it's still the most optimal way to watch a film. I mean, you know, that being said, movies obviously on Netflix or Hulu 
or Amazon. They come out and they can do gangbusters. You can have, um, what's a popular, To All the Boys I've Loved Before. That movie can do so well, but that is for a certain sect of people, people who like rom-coms, people who like female protagonists, people who like, you know, this and that versus uh, the entire world who's going to go see Black Panther 2 or Spider-Man Come Home, (laughs) Far From Home. I watched that movie uh, two weeks ago. I don't know if I talked about this. I thought it was fine. Too jokey for me. I don't, I can't like, there needs to be a balance between any superhero movies with jokes and like seriousness. Um, and I know Spider-Man's more of like the jokey, good jokier type, but it just bothered me. Like how many jokes were coming at you? I mean, and some of them are funny. I'm not going to, I'm not going to discount that. Anyway, not here nor there. I like that movie. Tom Holland's still the, uh, the worst Spider-Man. <laughs> I'm just joking. I was joking. He's this, uh, he's, he's up there. <laughs> so what happens to the theatrical experience? Um, the, the, this is from the article, the, the THR article, the national association of theater owners responded by saying the outcome should not be interpreted as a sign of quote, new normal for Hollywood quote, universal does not have a reason to use unusual circumstances in an unprecedented environment as a springboard to bypass true theatrical releases, said NATO president and CEO John Fithian. The uh, NATO is uh, basically AMC, Regal, United Artists, Landmark Theaters, all those, all, all the theaters, you know, together. It's essentially their union. Um, Jonathan also said, or Fithian also said, we are confident that when theaters reopen, studios will continue to benefit from the global theatrical box office, followed by theatrical traditional home release. I can't imagine um, that Onward for Disney Plus did anything sort of well because it, it didn't do well in theaters because only it was only out for a week. Then they released it on Disney Plus a couple weeks later. Um, I can't imagine that that movie, you know, made any money back for them. And uh, even though I didn't like it, you know, it's still a Pixar movie and it still should have made Buku Dolores. It should have made $800 million in the box office. Uh, I mean, your kid, this is what I was thinking today. Your kids are inside. Obviously, you're going to want to entertain them. And obviously, you're going to want to drop $20 to watch this movie. If you have a family of four, traditional, you know, (laughs) white picket fence, uh, two uh, Aryan children. (laughs) Aryan children. That's a better title than uh, than the last one. Uh, two Aryan children to to watch uh, uh, Trolls World Tour. Of course, of course, Trolls World Tour did well. You know that's what you want. Hold on, I gotta press the uh, the button again to start the stupid camera up. We're back. <laughs> We're back. Anyway. That's what, I mean, it's just, it just, yeah, like, like, like the NATO president said, you're using these unusual circumstances to, to try to sway that this is the better way of releasing movies because it's not, it's not, let's just get it through your thick head, your thick skull. Uh, <laughs> um, you know what? Today is Thursday and it is the... Comcast earnings call for the first quarter of the year. I wonder how they did. Comcast owns NBC or NBC Universal owns no no Universal Comcast company. Uh, Comcast owns MC NBCU, I believe. 
Oh, and then they're talking about how uh, Peacock is coming in a couple of, in July, and you know all Comcast customers will will get Peacock if you you have Comcast, I believe the cable, I believe I don't know or the internet. Uh, and there's one more part to this. So they said it was complimentary. There's a column here on Variety written by Rebecca Rubin and Brent Brent Lang. Excuse me. Does anyone win in the AMC theaters fight with Universal Pictures? And it's not just AMC. I believe Regal jumped in to this as well. Um, it is. So let's take a look at this from another, from both perspectives, just like we did for the Alf Claus and Simpsons versus Simpsons thing. Simpsons producers thing. Movie theaters were already doing poorly. Like I said, ticket sales down year over year. Right. But in in that sense, movies like a Disney movie, like a, Mar- and a Marvel Endgame, well, Avengers Endgame, <laughs> like an Avengers Endgame, do insanely well. And even if even if the last Star Wars, even if a movie theater is the only place, isn't the only place to see it, people are still going to do that. Because I mean, right now during the pandemic, nobody's going to cram into your home. Like I think, I think one of the issues is you know besides the non theatrical releases, I think that peop that the uh, the companies are are thinking that people are going to a pirate the movie more easily, which is a huge worry. Which I understand that one, but b they're going to just you know, throw parties and say, everybody come over. We can watch, uh, the new, I don't know, the new jackass together as if that's going to happen, which I don't think that will. <laughs> uh, but I mean, again, it would be smart. That's kind of, cause that's how paper, that's how people do pay-per-view, you know, last, the last boxing match I watched uh, in pay-per-view well, about, you know, five, six years ago. Uh, I, I had to pay, you know, $20 and I actually paid for somebody more, another one of my friends. So I paid $40 to, to watch pay-per-view at a, a friend's house. And we watched the fight. We watched the match. It went from 10 to like midnight. And then that was it. Uh, what was the return on investment on that? Nothing. So, so I mean, do they think that people are going to, I don't know, do be, are people going to have these parties anyway? Uh, but this is a, this is a good piece too. AMC, apparently, perhaps, this comes from an AMC head. I don't know his name. I'm looking for his name. His name, AMC CEO Adam Aaron uh, says, suggests that the AMC would cut ties with any studio, quote, contemplating a wholesale change to the status quo. This is kind of like how Khan... Hold on, let me let me jump to Cineworld, the owner of Real Entertainment, took a less radical stance, barring anything that threatens to disrupt the way movies traditionally arrive in theaters, but stopping short of a total ban of universal titles. Yes. Anyway, this is kind of like how Cannes Film Festival was saying, you know, years years ago uh, when Oakjaw was coming out, I believe in 2016 on Netflix, uh, when, when uh, Netflix was going to enter it into the competition, but they hadn't thought about they they didn't they didn't want to put it in um, theaters. Khan said like it was a whole kerfuffle, and then in, and then Khan eventually they reneged, recanted on that, and, and they said okay, we'll accept this one, but next year, and then they changed the rules like the next day. 
Uh, it has to be in theaters for, I believe, like 17 weeks or some absurdly long amount of time for it to be considered uh, to be considered to be put in the Cannes Film Festival. And that goes for every other film festival, too, I, I believe, uh, for most of them. My doctor keeps emailing me. <laughs> and it's all coronavirus updates. And truly annoying. <laughs> I think I'm getting a text. No, it's a coronavirus update. Who am I kidding? No one texts me. Some theater owners are were rattled, this is from the piece I'm writing, by, the, by what felt like a lack of solidarity from Universal at a time when their business is in a free fall and they're unable to generate any income. Roughly 150,000 cinema workers across the country have been furloughed or laid off, and many exhibitors are worried that they won't be, uh, that they won't be to go back to making money anytime soon. They'll be able to go back to making money, um, which is true. The arts theater that is near me is owned by Landmark, which I thought it was locally owned, but thank God it's not, because uh, that would have been sad if they couldn't come back. And you know, all of all of the uh, landmarks are closed, so all the all the the this theater is closed by me. And AMC, you know, even though Georgia's governor said yes, we can open up, AMC is still closed. Um, and it just, uh, you know, it's it's tough. It's this is a it was a hard hit industry and I understand everything else was hit very hard. Tyson is talking about uh, how they need to shut down uh, plants because you know it's 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 tough working in those conditions uh, with all the meat around and we're gonna have a meat shortage and all this stuff and farm farmers and farms are are destroying crops because they just can't they can't sell it all or they can't give it all away to to the companies. Um, but in terms of the entertainment industry, I believe that movie theaters are hit the hardest. Music, if I if I was inclined, you know, I could come into my office here and I can just, uh, I, if I had the equipment, I could just poop out a song. I could, you know, do the thing, and then that would be that would be that. And then I could put on Spotify, and make the money. Well, not Spotify, but I could uh, if I could put together a record, uh, make money, and then that'd be that. Uh, late night, late night, you can sit down with an iPhone and you can and, and, and zoom record conversations. And then, and, and that can be your entire show, uh, for, for movies, you know, for, for cartoons, you can, the Simpsons family guy, uh, every cartoon that's ever going to come out, you know, you can make that stuff at home for movies. It's tough because you got a crew of a hundred people and, Everyone's got to be in close contact with one another, and you can't do it from home. And uh, if you try, you look you look foolish. And the but then that that bleeds into who's distributing this and who's uh, doing what, like who's showing the movies. I mean, I mean, yeah, you can watch Netflix at home, but the experience is at AMC, it's at Regal, Cinemark, Landmark, all those places. Uh, so there you go. All right. I mean, nothing we can do about that. Very tough spot. You got to see where, where's universal coming from. They're coming from a standpoint of, we have these movies. We can't just sit back and we have the means of putting them out and praying people will pay for them. But then looking from the other end, AMC Regal. uh, this is a huge part. <laughs> no one goes to the movie theater. Like, <laughs> There, there's a, um, 
the movie theaters with with restaurants in them, you know, the the ones where you can eat at your seat, at, or the and, and then also they typically have a bar. They typically have like a a, a, a bar restaurant area. The one I used to live in the suburbs, uh, in Roswell, Georgia, and there was a movie theater on near the uh, more expensive side of town. Oh God, what was it? A movie tavern? It wasn't a movie tavern. Let's let's say it's a movie tavern because it probably was a movie tavern, and uh, there was it was a fairly new development, uh, but it had been there for like six years uh, by the time or five years by the time I left. Um, but it was, uh, <laughs> but there's a there's a huge area where you can just sit down and uh, the bar and there'll be like waiters waiting on you, and I just think who and there's food in the area too like there's. Not local places, but, you know, just your chains. And I just think, who would go, you know what? I don't want five guys. Uh, I'm not feeling Starbucks or Smoothie King. Uh, I don't want uh, uh, Greek. I don't want checkers. Uh, And there's a checkers up there, too, I believe. Like the last checkers in Georgia. (laughs) But I want to eat at this movie tavern. Let's go get a beer and get some wings and let's just hang out at the movie tavern. You're going to go see a movie? No, I'm not going to go see a movie. I just want to I just want to eat a dinner at the movie tavern. Like <laughs> movies movies are meant to movie movie theaters are for movies. They're not for food, they're not for anything else. And when you when you're universal you're saying, "Hey, we're not going to release you know Trolls 3 trolling again uh in in in, in theaters or you're going to do it uh, hand in hand with uh, paid video on demand, then you're making you're making a fool of where you came from of movie theaters, and so I've said making a fool twice, and I just I don't feel comfortable saying that. I've been listening to a lot of Doughboys. All right, listen, forty seven minutes. Listen, if you like what you heard here, and I don't know why you would, head on over to a website, seablesscomedy.com, where there are so many great interviews with your favorite comedians like Larry the Cable Guy, Jimmy Pardo, <laughs> Maria Bamford. It flips. Don't worry. It flips. <laughs> if you're watching the video, you saw me slap my laptop multiple times and the screen just fell backwards by itself. Uh, Maria Bamford, Craig Ferguson, the Sklar brothers, Dan Van Kirk, just so many of your, your fan, uh, Jen Kirkman twice, uh, Emma Wilman twice. So many of your favorite comedians. Um, hopefully more. I, I'm going to go ahead and say this because I don't think I'm going to reach this goal. But at the beginning of the year, I said, I hope to do, this is me coming off the high of, of uh, Craig Ferguson. I said, all right, you know what? I'm going to do 50 interviews with only, uh, with 50 comedians that I know. And if I can't, and if they don't have like a lot of followers or like, or like a, or like a, a big career move, then I'm just not going to interview them. And, uh, and, and it was, I was doing well, I was doing well, you know, I was getting an interview basically every couple of weeks and then the pandemic hit <laughs> and I stopped getting interviews <laughs> with the exception of uh, one that will be coming out next week at this point around this time okay so if you like that like the show if you want to see a video version of the show youtube.com slash plus comedy I urge you to it's fun just to just put it on the background when you're I don't know what people do at home now just put it on the background it'll be fun and rate, review, subscribe, <laughs> wherever you get your podcast. 
what else? What else? What else? Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Simples Comedy. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Chad Black White. Like us on Facebook. That is it for the Constitutionals Podcast. And I'm going to wrap this up by unlocking my iPad and playing the outro song. Thank you and good night. <laughs>